by their sinful nature. It is their proclivity of a man to be a dictator in his home and maybe to be a dictator where he works or in his business or wherever else he happens to have authority. Now, Paul fixes this by commanding the Christian husband to love his wife. Life in the home where there is a dictator and a nemesis living together can often be miserably climactic. Years ago, I had a couple in my uh, counseling office, and they decided to tell me about a recent fight that they had. And I could just picture it in my mind as they described what happened at the dinner table one night. And at the dinner table, they got into this argument, and there started to be yelling, and there started to be screaming. And finally, one of them, I won't say which, picked up a handful of fresh spaghetti off of his plate, oh, off of his plate, <laughs> and threw it at her. And so there she is with meatballs and spaghetti sauce. Well, she decided to return the favor, and so she picked up her spaghetti and threw it on him. So we had this mess going on, spaghetti flying through the air. But I will say this, that she effectively ended that particular argument with the skillet when she whopped the old boy upside the head. And uh, it took me a while to compose myself so we could talk about the problems there. I had an Amish couple uh, one time, and they got into a big fight because she stepped out of her bounds when she went out and she purchased a plow horse for her kids to learn how to plow with without her husband's permission. And boy, the sparks flew. It was so bad that she was saying, I'm going to even buy a car and run away. Well, Amish don't buy cars, and the wives aren't supposed to run away. Uh, but there's things going on in that home that should not have been happening. And she shouldn't have had to go out and buy a plow horse and sneak around her husband's back to do it. But that was a big problem, and sparks flew. She was going to leave him over that. And I have often seen perfectionistic husbands who drive their demands, uh, sometimes with turbocharged anger in the family. And he destroys relationships with others wherever he goes and relationships in the home. Today we're going to talk about Jesus' remedy, not really Paul's. He's just telling us what Jesus said. His remedy for a dictator. We did, we did this stuff about wives last week. If you missed it, go watch it on uh, Facebook. Today we're talking about the husbands. And the remedy for our problem as being dictators is here. And by this I specifically mean uh, the husband who is a dictator in his home especially. Let's read the text. Verse 25 through verse 28, Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 22 starts out wives, that's addressed to them. Verse 25 starts out husbands, that's addressed to us husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Just as, so now there's a comparison here, there's a standard, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. He means the church. So that he might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So, again, a comparison, so in the same way, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Let's pick it up with verses 25 to 27. If you're following along with your notes in the bulletin, the first bullet point or the first uh, outline point is this. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church, which results in her, now I'm talking about the wife, which results in her being holy, blameless, and glorious. 
That's our goal. That's what's set up here for us today. The first thing we notice here is that Christ's relationship is to the body, his church. The church is the bride of Jesus Christ. She is the supreme standard by which husbands measure what they are doing for their wives. They measure their love for their wife in terms of how much Christ has loved his church. Now, I've used this before with my young couples group, but I want to say it again here. Dr. Howard Hendricks, uh, who taught Christian home, is uh, world-renowned. World uh, he since has passed away. But he had a young seminary guy come into his office one day at the seminary, and he sat down, and he goes, Prof, I just, I just got a problem. I love my wife too much. And he said, well, I never hear that very often. He says, wow. So he said, you love your wife as much as Christ loves the church. Then he goes, oh, no, Prof, I would never be so proud as to say that. And Professor Hendricks said, well, then you better get with it, because that's what it says. We love our wives as much as Christ loves the church, and it's a tall order. The church in the New Testament is called the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, 27 for just a minute. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. It says, now you are Christ's body. He's talking to the church. And individually members of it. You're individually members of the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Now if we go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. We read, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So the picture in the New Testament is that all of us together as Christians and all the Christians around the world, listen, all the Christians from the time of Jesus Christ's ascension into heaven to the time of, of the uh, pre-tribulational rapture, which is what I happen to believe in, all of that time is the church. That is the body of Christ. That is the bride of Christ. Now, what's going to happen is our marriage relationships and how they are conducted and what we do with them is to be an example of Christ's relationship to the body of Christ, Christ's relationship to the bride of Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, in that relationship between Christ and his church, what do we expect to happen? What does it look like? And Jesus is telling you, if you're a married man, married woman, this is what your relationship should look like, mine with the bride I have, the church. That's what I want it to be. And so that's a tall order. Uh, the marriage relationship then is a picture of Christ's relationship to his bride, the church. I want to read about that just briefly in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 9. It says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, that's John, saying, come here and I will show you, notice, the bride, the wife of the lamb. There's a marriage relationship there, a covenant relationship. And God wants us to say, your relationship with your family, your relationship with your wife and with your husband needs to exemplify what I have with the bride uh, that I call the church. So the first order of business is to examine how it is that Christ loves the church his body, over which he is the head, the leader uh, of his bride. Now, I just want to ask you a question like, like what we just got through talking about. If, if that's the case, if that's the example, can you ever imagine uh, with, with Christ sitting with his church, maybe here you know, at the communion table where we celebrate a meal with Christ or somewhere, and, and he picks up a load of spaghetti and throws it in his wife's face? Can you imagine that? 
You think Christ would do that to his, to his bride? I, I don't believe he would. I don't think that's, that's what he does. Does he threaten to leave us as the body of Christ if we don't comply with his rules? You know that's not true because we've all broken his rules, and yet still Jesus loves us and cares about us and wants to be faithful to us. He would never do that. Is he more interested in himself than he is with our well-being? Well, he proved that wasn't the case on the cross. He's interested in our well-being. He's interested in us being what God, want, the Father, wants us to be. And he works for that. So here's our definition of love again. We've mentioned it a number of times. We will in the future if God should let us do so. Love is being dedicated to the well-being of another and working to see the Lord's will done in that person's life. So since we're talking about husbands today, then husbands, here's the deal. You are, you are to be dedicated to the well-being of your wife, and you are to work to see that the Lord's will is done in her life because she is important to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we need to ask ourselves this question as husbands. What will promote my wife's well-being? And I mean that in the sense of spiritually, physically, and emotionally, because that's what husbands are, are supposed to be taken care of. I take care of my wife spiritually, physically, and emotionally. So husbands, what are your goals for your wife? Every man should have a plan based on his wife's gifting to advance her in the faith. What does God expect that you're going to do with her? Well, do you see that Jesus has instructed us and has enabled us to make something good out of her, which is our responsibility, and we're to do that for him. We're to do that for Jesus. If I love myself and my own desires more than I love her, I am not loving her as Christ loves the church. And you know I mean now the bride of Christ. The first thing that jumps out at us is that there is a standard that Christ has given us, which is loving his bride so much that he was willing to give himself up for her on her behalf. So, first of all, love is selfless. Love is others-centered, and that's what a husband is supposed to do. He's supposed to center his love not on himself but on others. So, will we husbands love our wives to the point of giving up our own lives on behalf of her? And I mean it so, so much to, to come down to the very level where we live every day. If she needs help with something, is it really that important that I go golfing with my buddies and say, I'll get to you when I get to you? I'll get to you if I, if I can get that taken care of. Is that really the case? Uh, I could have used fishing in there. I could have used video games. I could have used anything in there. But does she come first? That's the issue. A dictator is all about himself. When I think of Saddam Hussein, I think about a dictator. He was all about himself. He does not love those under his authority more than he loves himself. Husbands are not to be that way. He puts himself first if he's a dictator and expects the people under him to do that which is good for him. And sometimes dictators make people do that. A dictator is a leader who does not love. Men at their worst are going to be dictators just like Adam had that propensity, that proclivity from the fall. With God's help, the husband can cease being a dictator by choosing rather to love his wife and put her needs first. But before we get to that, 
If something is keeping us from doing that, we need to ask Jesus for forgiveness for my, for my me first attitude or whatever else I let get in the way and cause me to continue my dictatorial uh, rants and raves. We can understand why Jesus wants to remedy this in the Christian home. And it's because he cares about little kids and families who see this stuff and who listen to what's going on. I don't remember if there was a, if that couple had a, had a bunch of kids sitting around the table when the spaghetti was flying and when, when finally the skillet came out, but if, if there were, it's devastating to kids. It would be hard to serve God if we have a man who is demandingly all about himself married to a woman who will fight and scratch and claw to usurp his authority. She becomes submissive and he becomes a leader who loves those that are under his authority. The husband, in God's eyes, is responsible before God to love his wife and as his son loves his bride, and that is the church. The extent to which the husband will love his wife is to the giving up of his own life on her behalf. It is amazing how quickly this stuff goes out the window when a couple finally decides they've had enough and they're going to divorce each other. What I see is that Jesus would never cheat on his bride, nor would he give her up. Jesus sanctifies his bride. He cleanses his bride. Now, with him, it's his, with his blood. We can't do that as, as human men. But he also does it with his word, the word of God, to bring about her glory so that she will be spotless and blameless. you get that? God wants us as husbands to work so that our wife is blameless and glorious, and holy, and respected, and honored in every way. Now that's going to take, in a Christian home, for a husband and a wife to have the same master, which is Jesus, and the same mission, which is whatever he put you together with your spouse for. There's a reason he put you together with your spouse. It was for mission and ministry, and apparently you couldn't do it well enough on your own, so he gave you a partner by which you could do it well enough. Husbands, a husband needs to figure out what Jesus did so that he can do the same with his wife. First of all, we only marry a Christian girl. Uh, that's, that's a mandate that we're going to learn in the book of Ezra when we get to that section in chapters 9 and 10 of the book of Ezra in the future. We're going to find out that you don't marry outside the faith. So let me say this again for my young people, okay? Especially my high school young people, junior high, start thinking about this stuff. There's nowhere in the Bible that God says it's okay to marry outside your faith or to marry a boy or a girl that isn't a Christian, especially if you think you're going to lead them to Christ. Uh, you, you don't have any fellowship with a non-Christian. Date Christians. And don't just date somebody because they say, well, I go to church. Just because somebody goes to church does not mean that they know Jesus Christ as their Savior. You've got to get beyond that I go to church. You've got to get down to, well, why do you think you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And if they can answer that question correctly, then, then maybe you might want to date them. There's other things that go into that. But first of all, we start by marrying husbands that uh, are going to marry a Christian girl and then become a husband. That means Christ has done his saving and sanctifying work in her. She's already uh, getting close to where God wants her to be. Your job is to take her and help her get the rest of the way. The husband loves her in such a way that the things that Christ has done in her are promoted and grown 
under the watchful care of her husband. That means I ought to be able to ask every Christian husband in here, what are the spiritual gifts of your wife, and, and then what are you doing about helping her develop her spiritual gifts? And if you can't answer that, you can't be doing what God wants you to do. You've got to figure that out. What are my wife's spiritual gifts? And then help her grow in those, help her be promoted in those. All right, am I to defile my wife after Jesus has made her clean through salvation? No, never. I want you to know that porn always, always defiles a wife, always. It never is innocuous. It never doesn't do anything. It always goes against the purity and defiles a wife. So if I'm a Christian husband, I shouldn't be looking at porn. And that's an unbelievable problem today. You can be healed from it. It comes from an emotional disconnect when you were little. It has nothing to do with your wife. And if you want to stand before God and try to give an answer to him, why you purposely defiled your wife's purity, then just keep up with the porn. I hope you don't. Do I defile her by taking her away, her dedication to serve Jesus? Uh, separate, separate her from the world, and and then do I uh, from the world, and then plunge her into debauchery and sexual immorality? Do Christian husbands actually do that? Yes, they do. I've heard sickening story after sickening story of what Christian husbands have made their wives do to promote evil in them, mostly uh, through sexuality, and not sanctify them, not to treat them as holy. Jesus set her apart for his use when, when she came to know Christ as her Savior. Then husbands take them away from their service to God. And brothers, that shouldn't be. What does God expect us husbands to produce in our wives? Well, let me just name a few. One is that we are to set them aside for Jesus and the ministry that he calls her to, to carry on and to use. Secondly, we are to guide her life with the cleansing of the word of God. Is, is there a, a time where you're reading the scripture together, where you're studying together, where you're looking at the word of God together? And then there's to be no spot on her. Now, uh, some people find evidence in this Greek text for a reference to wife battering or wife beating. Uh, listen, uh, that should never be. That should never be. Not from a Christian husband. And if your husband is doing that, I, I would encourage you to turn him in. Let him spend the night in jail and see what that's like. Maybe we can get his attention if that's happening. No, no, de, no defect in her. That's part of what Christ is doing for the church, which I think is spiritually exactly where he's talking about for, for the most part. When we are done with our work in our wives, she is to shine in glory, being what God wants her to be. I am and you are as husbands responsible to know her spiritual gifts and to make sure she develops them. My job is to help her be all that she can be as a daughter of King Jesus. I think about this, you probably should too. Be careful how you treat your wife. She's the beautiful daughter of Jesus. We need our wife and we also need to take care of her and view her as Jesus views her. And we know how Jesus views her. Now, we mentioned this in my adult Sunday school class this morning, but it's also a part of what I had planned here in 1 Peter chapter 3. 
and verse 7. Now he's talked to the wives in the first part of that chapter, but he says this, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way with someone weaker since she is a woman. I think, I think he's just talking mostly about physical, uh, physical strength. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Show her honor. Your wife has a right to be honored by you. Who gave her that right? Jesus did. She has rights, and we can't violate those rights. Now, if you're one of those guys that violates that right, notice what it says God is going to do so that your prayers will not be hindered. It means that if you're not treating your wife the way God wants you to treat your wife, God is going to do this when you pray. Anybody want that to happen? No, we want God to hear every prayer that we pray. But God is basically saying, when you start treating your wife the way I want her to be treated, I'll start listening to what you have to say. That's huge. That's huge. If God has not been answering your prayers, men, that's where I want you to look first. And I want you to ask your question, am I really treating her the way God wants me to treat her? Well, what are some of the things that I don't do to my wife? Here's some other things on the negative side. I don't drag her to bars. I don't promote her getting drunk. I don't exploit her in any situation. I don't abuse her sexually, physically, or emotionally. I don't do porn. I don't do drugs, and I don't get drunk. I need to be there every minute of every day, ready to go to do for her what I need to do. I don't ignore her. I don't abandon her. I don't emotionally detach from her. And if I have, I go get help, and we get this thing fixed. I make her the queen of my little castle, and I expect, I'm going to say no demand, that the children respect her in this way as well as me. She is not to be disrespected by me or by my children. My dad really drove that home one time in a car when my sister had done something to my mom, and dad uh, kind of was getting us to understand that will never happen again, and if any of you do that, you will need to find some place else to live. I will not put up with it. <laughs> okay, all right, you know. And then I blame everything on my sister, but what about me? Am I treating her the way I should? So that, that was very clear. Dad didn't use a verse. He didn't need one. I, I knew where we stood. Now verse 28, the husband is to love his wife as he loves his own body. Now next time we're together, hopefully that will be next week, we will see what Paul has in mind when he says that we are to love our own wife as we love our own body. It will be instruction on nourishing and cherishing uh, your wife. Uh, we want to take a little time to emphasize what we are told here. What does he mean, love your wife as, as you do your own body? And he who loves his wife loves himself. First, we are told to love our wife as Christ has, has uh, told us to. And here we are told to love our wife as we would our own body. Now, understand what's going to happen here. There are people who have psychological and biological issues which cause them not to be good to their own bodies. All right? that's, that's a minority of people. That's not the way it is with most of us. That's the exception. It's not the general rule. Paul is talking about the general rule. He's speaking of that here. In general, a person looks out for the well-being of his or her own body. This is why we have regular medical appointments, ophthalmic exams, and why we go to the dentist. 
We want to take care of the one body that Jesus gave us that has to last our whole life. The last phrase in the verse, listen carefully, does not indicate that you can tell if a man loves himself, uh, I'm sorry, you can tell that a man loves his wife if he's in love with himself. That's not what it says. It indicates that the man who loves his own wife is loving himself, listen, because she is one body with him. So if a man is loving his wife, she is one body with him, she is kin, one flesh, then we know that he's loving his wife like he should because she is one body with him. If he doesn't love his wife because she's one body, he doesn't love himself. All right? So if he does not love his wife, he is failing at loving himself because she is a part of him. She and I are one, and with your wife as well. Um, social media, in many ways, is killing marriages uh, and the more we get into social media, the worse it's going to get. The communication as it rises, as we learn that the Tower of Babel, as, as we take away the barriers of communication in the world, the, the amount of sin rises, and that's happening in families and marriages. Uh, many years ago, I got a letter from an old girlfriend, and it's called a fishing letter. And uh, she was just fishing around to see was I happy with this girl that I'm with right now? Uh, would I like to change? Would I like to meet with her? And so I got this letter, and I let Noelle read it. She was ready to drive to Denver and go to fisticuffs with somebody. And I said, let's just calm down here for a minute, you know. <laughs> and I said, this is a good teaching thing for our young, young couples because that fishing happens all the time. They maybe think, well, I just divorced, and I'm going to find out if one of, my old, one of my old boyfriends or girlfriends is available, so I just throw out a hook and see what happens. All right? Uh, so we brought it to the life group, and we read. Did we read that whole thing? Maybe not. But we showed it to them and said, this is what can happen. What do you do with something like that? Well, Noel wanted to burn it on the spot, go out and slap this girl around a little bit and tell her to wake up. But, but since she's a Christian, she thought she wouldn't do that. Uh, we still have it in a file so we can use it for training later. But it's gone far beyond that. So here's what I want to do. I want to read uh, five things uh, from a survey that was done by the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, divorce lawyers. That's what this is about. Uh, they found that 81% of lawyers that are divorce lawyers said they had seen an increase in divorce cases using evidence found on social media. I almost never sit with a couple for a week and we don't find problems on social media in their relationship. Now, that's just me. But it says uh, 81%. A group of divor divorce lawyers gave the following ways social media uh, can hurt a marriage. So we're gonna, I'm going to tell you what each point is and everything after that is a quote from one of these divorce lawyers. Number one, the thing that hurts a marriage, screen time got in the way of FaceTime. Okay, not to stop because now we have FaceTime on our phones, all right? What they're talking about is uh, screen time by looking at this stuff on your phone is different than no phone and just face-to-face, -face, physical face-to-face. -face. Let's make that clear, all right? Instead of getting into, I'm sorry, yeah, that's right. Instead of getting into bed and discussing how each other's day was, couples opt to be on social media. They engage with friends, acquaintances, and even followers during times that they would otherwise be growing and improving in their marital, marital relationship. Their advice is put down your device, ask your spouse how their day was, 
and actually listen to them. Number two, reconnecting with old partners led to an affair. This is the fishing thing I'm talking about. Your former partners bring you back to a time when life was less complicated and your greatest challenge was a team, I'm sorry, was a term paper. Some get so caught up in the romance that they move from posts to emails to texts to calling them and then secret rendezvous. Even if things don't work out with the old fling, the temporary checking out from your marriage can cause irreparable harm. The third thing, everyone else's marriage appeared perfect in comparison. As you scroll your news feed, you see so many seemingly perfect marriages, there is a tendency to compare your own relationship to the perceived perfection of another's. The weakness in your own, in your own marriage may become more obvious. I guarantee you, the best-looking couple on Facebook has problems. And it's always that way, but you don't see that uh, too often when you're looking through these things. Number three, um, no, I did that one. Number four, too much personal information was shared online. And the quote is, intimate details about your relationship and marriage should never have been exposed on social media. It causes distrust between partners, and it can backfire if you and your partner divorce. And finally, number five, the single life started looking more and more attractive. You're talking about in the marriage. The social media posts of your single friends look so much better than your own life because many people's posts are... Uh, staged to portray their own lives in the most positive light. There is a reason the selfie stick was one of the most popular holiday gifts this year. You want to break up your marriage? Buy your wife a selfie stick, I guess. And they'll take pictures. Well, that's advice from uh, secular divorce lawyers. You understand it? It's a problem. Well, let me give you some applications I know we've covered a lot of stuff. Uh, I hope, hope the husbands might even review it. But we've learned this. Number one, a dictator is a leader who does not love. That's a dictator. God asks a husband to love his wife sacrificially. So put that on your list. What do I do for her? Number two, the husband has a responsibility to make his wife into a valuable servant of Christ. That's what we're here for. Now, that doesn't mean you don't also do that. You want to be a valuable servant as well, sure. We must not, thirdly, we must not defile our wives, but rather work for their purity and glory as a woman of God. Purity and not defiling in this society is a full-time job. Fourthly and finally, loving your own body includes loving your wife, who is one with you in God's eyes. There's a lot of stuff there. A big job for husbands. We need to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, if we stop and think about it, I would think nobody would say that, yes, I, I am loving my wife as much as Jesus loved the church. And we want to echo uh, the advice of Dr. Hendricks when he talked to that young man, then we better get with it. 
I ask that each of us would choose to be that kind of a husband. I ask that we would take care of any sin in our life that's getting in the way of making that choice, if there is. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us. I think you're pretty much aware of all the problems in this world, all the issues with human sexuality and all the, all the things that are being turned upside down and things that once we held dear as pure are now uh, called, what were abominations are now called uh, the right thing to do. And it's, it's so uh, disconnecting to us. I pray that you would help us to not wade in the pollution of the world but rise above it and do what's right in your eyes. And we know that if we make that choice, you will help us. And we're so thankful for that. And I pray it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Please stand for our last song, Hymn 181. Were you there?